guys, welcome back to um, episode two of Murray Musings, a podcast dedicated to the professional tennis player Andy Murray. Yeah, I, I, I would personally just like to take a minute to say thank you to every every single one of you guys who listened to our first episode, who reached out to us individually, reached out to the Murray Musings Twitter account um, with, with, with great feedback on that first episode, because honestly... In the build-up to releasing it, I I was super duper nervous, nervous about it. <laughs> I didn't know how it was going to be received. I was, yeah, I was I was very kind of uncertain about how it would go down. Um, it's a little bit of a different idea for a kind of podcast, and I didn't know if different in this sense was like a, a really good thing or not because you know obviously a tennis podcast. There's plenty of tennis podcasts out there. A podcast dedicated solely to kind of following one player's journey. Um, I, I didn't quite know how that would go down, but like the really positive reception that everyone has given us in the last 24 hours. We're recording the second episode 24 hours after the release of our first. And the uh, the last day or so, we we each have received some, some great feedback from everyone everyone who, who's listened. So thank you so much for that, um, first and foremost. I don't know if you guys have anything to add on that, but um, yeah, no, I, I was just really thankful. It's been amazing uh, to see the support from my friends who are also podcasters. They're like, oh, okay, you know, I'll definitely take a listen to it and good job. So I'm proud of that. I'm proud of what we've started. Yeah, as Scott was saying, I was definitely not expecting this reception. I was like not expecting many people to be interested in, in us talking about Andy because we already talk about Andy on Twitter all the time. So I was thinking like, why why would people listen? But people are obviously interested uh to hear about more about what we think of him, and I think that's very nice. And it's nice for people to get to know us as fans as well, our personalities. Yeah, I, 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 I don't, I don't know if it came across in the first episode. Like, I think I may maybe mentioned it very briefly at the beginning of the first episode, but um, the the three of us have never actually met in person. We 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 have never met yeah, in person. Never. We are literally just just three Andy Murray fans who have uh, chatted on Twitter a little bit about him like a lot to be fair a lot <laughs> we've chatted yeah. about him a lot on twitter we followed each other for for years on on twitter um and randomly just in the last month or so we've kind of communicated a little bit and i think we spoke for maybe the first time about this idea like a week before we recorded that first episode and uh so so yeah we, we we've actually literally never kind of met each other in real life so we, we hope we hope that we kind of come across like quite well like together as a trio um and yeah i i, I personally kind of feel like 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 judging from the feedback we've received i think i think we do which is good right <laughs> which is yeah, a good yeah, thing yeah. but I, um, um we've been through like a lot we, we were like messaging each other during when andy andy was basically almost done like he everyone was thinking he was done and we were thinking oh this is the end um and we've been through his comeback doubles comeback everything like uh, on twitter and everything so we we're good friends uh, because of that for sure for sure so so like like we've known each other for years but we've never actually met in person so yeah uh, and this is like kind of like an experimental project and judging judging from everyone's lovely lovely comments i think i think we've made a good decision so let's let's see how this episode two goes i guess and uh We'll kind of we'll kind of go from there. Um, so yeah, just to say, I'm Scott again. I'm Scott. 
my fellow podcasters are Rashmi and Rashmi and Peter. Um, Hello, yeah. And uh, yeah, we're 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 just three Andy Murray fans chatting about Andy Murray. Obviously, we're we, we intend to talk about more about the twenty twenty one tennis season when it gets underway, and when Andy plays his first matches in Australia in February. But at the moment, we thought what we would do is dive in a little bit to the past few years of Andy Murray's career and talk a little bit about his his documentary. Um, if you haven't seen it, I think all three of us would definitely recommend you go and see it. <laughs> you go and watch it. It's on Amazon and it is very, very good. It kind of, um, well, I won't, I won't give you the overview because we're going to dive in depth a little bit about it. Uh, so, yeah. I'll I'll take us back now. I guess I'll take us back now to, um, when when I when Andy himself, when Andy Murray himself, uh, first kind of specifies. Um, he's talked a lot about this match as a kind of uh, catalyst for for his injury woes over the last few years. And I'm going to take us all the way back to kind of the end of 2016 and the start of 2017. Um, so at the end of 2016, Andy Murray he was. On top of the world, he was world number one, and he was playing uh, the greatest tennis of his career. I think you guys would agree with yeah. that, right? He was playing insane like, level, oh, yeah. like uh, the streak he went on in the final uh, months of 2016, unbelievable. Yeah, like, like how how were you guys how were you guys feeling at the end of 2016? Like what was like really good. Roger Federer even called his uh, run epic. Yeah. I mean, winning all those titles and then becoming number one on cap uh, with. Uh, uh, ATP uh, tour final uh, against Novak was special. Yeah, in the beginning of that year, it was Roland Garros final that he lost. Like not at the beginning, like in April time. And I was thinking, oh, he has no chance for number one now. This Djokovic is on a roll. Four slams in a row he had won until like Roland Garros 2016. And then I don't know, uh, Andy somehow won Wimbledon <laughs> that year. Um, yeah, amazingly. And then after Wimbledon, he just got this confidence and. He was on a roll. He beat like really great players um, consecutively, winning f- five tournaments or something in a row. Um, just... Did you guys ever think like Did you guys ever think over the past few years? Because obviously, he kind of like proved everyone wrong with like world number one. Uh, like so, sorry with winning grand slams and stuff like that. He he won. He he'd won. I think had he had he he'd won two grand slams before he became world number one before that year. Um, but I, I, I don't know. There was part of me that was like, will he ever get to world number one? I don't know. Does it really matter? Um, but by the end of 2016, he had kind of solidified for me. I don't know if before 2016, I, I, I believed he could reach world number one. I don't know. Like, did you guys ever think he would do that? I always had the belief. I mean, as a fan, I, I would hope, you know, everyone has that like strong-willed belief of like, okay, you know, he's taken his losses and he's taken his punches, but... Hopefully he can get there. And I mean, he had the potential early on that I saw. So, yeah. I mean, I hoped so, but after it was after Wimbledon in 2016 where I was like, yeah, he's getting there, man. He's doing it. He was yeah. playing like insane. I think Federer lost to Raonic in the semis, was it? And after that, I was like, this is Andy's title to win. He's going to do it. And in that final, he was like, he was on a mission. Um, Raonic was serving 141 miles per hour, I don't know, and he returned it and hit a return winner or something. It was just, he was on a mission that day and he enjoyed that victory a lot more and I think that spurred him on to to want the number one spot. He knew it was in his reach yeah. at, at that point and I did as well. I was like, he's getting there now. <laughs> 
for sure yep. yeah i think so i think we as fans at the end of 2016 like uh we're kind of we're, we're kind of with andy on top of the world a little bit like because yeah we'd spent so many so many years before that just kind of watching him kind of not in the shadow of like roger federer and novak Djokovic and rafa nadal but like kind of kind of like try like whiling away his time to try and to try and get get to the very 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 top of the game and then he finally did it and it was great and so 2017 comes around and uh it's it's a typical andy andy murray thing like i i i he he was there he was at the top of the world like best tennis player in the world world number one and then he gets an injury. Um, no, and the actually, match... actually, at the start of the year, I was very optimistic. He played the Doha final against Djokovic, lost the final, That's played right. well. That was a great had... match, by the way. That was a he fantastic match. He played really well yeah. that, uh, that tournament uh, to get there. He, played, he beat, I don't remember who, but great players that tournament. Um, Dubai, the Kohl match, which I talked about already. Um, the, the win, he won that tournament. That was the last 250 that he won before Antwerp, I think. Um, yeah, uh, he played well at the start, and then uh, Roland Garros came around. The clay came. He did okay. He lost to Charge, I think. He lost to I don't remember who else, but um, he lost to players that were good that were coming up. Um, yeah, yeah. He 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 lost he lost to yeah he lost a handful of players that you know. See, he he was still playing good tennis. You are right. I was wrong of me to just be like twenty seventeen was a write off. He was injured the entire time. No, he time. was playing well, and even he got to the semis in a clay tournament. I think. That was insane to do. Uh, getting to the semis, he beat... I, I don't even remember. I need to like redo my research a bit more. But he did beat uh, good players at Roland Garros uh, as well. He did play brilliantly. But I think I think in my head, I've just been like, 2016 was the year of Andy Murray. And then 2017, just because of what happened after that. Yeah, like, Roland Garros is, such is a where kind of, it all started. April. Roland Garros, Roland yeah, Garros absolutely. So, Roland Garros. So, this match happened in the, the semi finals of Roland Garros, wasn't it? Against Stan Wawrinka. And I don't know I don't know about you guys, but I, I, I remember watching watching that match, and Stan Wawrinka is such a hard, hard, hard hitting player. Like, it's any match against Stan Wawrinka is, is going to be a brutal match, isn't it? But yeah. this match, the two of them have specifically come out and spoken about the fact that they feel like that match um was a match that kind of brought about so many injury woes for both players not just for Andy Murray himself but also for Stan as well and I, it's such a kind of um it, it it's a brutal match if you go back and watch it did, did you guys watch it happen live I or? watched the whole thing the whole thing oh, I don't yeah. even know how long it was like four hours four and a half hours five hours I don't remember but it was long and I sat there for the whole of the five sets by the fourth set I was thinking I was still thinking Andy could win this and I, that's why I sat there um, for the whole time I was like believing in my head he can still win this he can still win this and then final set was 6-1 to Wawrinka yeah got it, oh, got it. i remember watching that final set he was not he was he gave up in that final set like he didn't his body just body just gave up for him in that he final was done set. he was, was done. done and i yeah and i think and i think for me that was such a kind of a memorable moment because up and uh, yeah you are right up until that moment in 2017 he, he'd been playing decent he'd been playing decent we hadn't really seen any major signs of a huge like kind of injury of of sorts but that like seeing him seeing him lose that final set 6-1 and he was barely able to move at some points if i'm if i'm right in remembering he 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 looked he looked in in bad bad shape 
Um, so, so that match was such a kind of um, arguably, arguably one of the most important matches of Andy Murray's career. I, I would argue. Um, you know, obviously not for yep. great, <laughs> a great, a great reason, but it was, it was a match that definitely kind of sparked. Uh, uh, I, I kind of, I, I, I don't want to say downfall because that sounds super negative, and it, it, it's, but it, it definitely sparked a kind of downturn in his luck a little bit in terms of his body and his injuries. And I, and I thought he would definitely pull out of Wimbledon, um, which obviously gets underway just a few weeks after the French Open. But he didn't. He didn't. He, he played that Wimbledon, and he, he, did, he did amazingly well, didn't he? He, he went all the way to the quarterfinals. Quarter right? finals. Went all the way to the quarterfinals. Yeah, I, by the way, I just looked it up, and in uh, Roland Garros, he beat Del Potro in the third round, 2017. Del Potro, he bageled him in the, final, in the third set for that. He beat Khachanov in the fourth round. He beat Nishikori in the quarters and lost to Stan in the semis. So he did play some good players, really good players. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was a great. I, I thought I thought he might be on for another for another final showing at the French Open. To be yeah, honest, he could have like, that final set. Playing. Just he just lost it, lost the hip, just took over in that final set. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, no, like so going into Wimbledon, I I thought he would pull out, but he played he played brilliantly. He played brilliantly in that Wimbledon as well. Right up, right up until the 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 quarterfinals when he kind of limped out, didn't he? He limped out on almost like one leg, kind of really struggling to move. Um, and that 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 for me was one of the one of the hardest hardest moments to watch as an Andy fan because, um, it's it's Wimbledon, it's in front of a home crowd. He's he was the defending champion. Uh, you you know when Andy Murray walks on court at Wimbledon that he gives a hundred and ten percent all the time because uh, he wants to he wants to play his best tennis and he's capable of playing his best tennis he's arguably one of the greatest grass court players in recent history and it was I mean that wasn't Andy Murray on court that day was it it was he he was a he was a broken kind of shell of an Andy Murray <laughs> of Andy Murray and it was just so difficult to watch uh, for me but I, I I remember I was I was actually in America at the time when that match happened um uh, so I I only caught like the highlights but it was the amount of messages I received from friends who were like genuinely devastated for me <laughs> and I found out via messages about it and I was I was crushed because I, I just remember looking at the highlights and just head in my hands like is this you know this is not this is not looking good. And um, did you guys did you guys get to see that one live or what was? I what was don't remember. Do I think I did. Yeah. Oh I yeah. It, I think it was live. I've definitely watched it. I don't remember if it was live or not. But uh, I watched a lot of the matches in that tournament and uh, of Andy's matches in that tournament. And the thing that I found funny was all his opponents were had something in common. I'll tell you who his opponents were. First round it was Bublik. Second round it was Dustin Brown. Third round it was Funini. And fourth round it was Ben Rapier. <laughs> So yeah, all all, all unique they all players, are, like, aren't they? Very showy players, showmans. Um, he played four of those people in a row at Wimbledon, <laughs> and beat them all except Fonini. He beat them all in straight sets. So, I I was thinking he's got a great shot for another Wimbledon title for defending his title, and then Query came along and ruined it. <laughs> Yeah. As you were saying, Scott, um, I got quite a few messages as well. And a lot of people were saying that uh, Andy's not good. Like after the French Open, that this is career defining and possibly career ending. Um, So not in the best uh, place to be an Andy Murray fan at that point. Was Wimbledon the last uh, the last? time he played in 2017 right, he called it an end to a season right after that didn't he so he calls an end to a season but 
I think I was I was actually in a kind of a unique position because I actually got to see Andy play live in 2017 after Wimbledon. Um, despite the fact he called the end of the season, I I got to see him in that. Yeah, I mentioned in the first episode. Um, I got to see him live in Glasgow, and I you know he he played that exhibition event against against Roger for charity and yeah obviously it says a lot about Andy Murray who Andy Murray is that uh, he is struggling with a career threatening injury and he still turns up to play but I do remember we're, we're all there as Andy Murray fans but there was a sense that we were all there kind of watching trying to tell obviously it's an exhibition event they're not playing like their their, their highest highest level of tennis but there was a sense like that we were kind of watching, trying to tell if he was kind of, you know, was he getting better? Was there a little bit, you know, was was he still limping on court? How was he doing? How was the rehab going? And obviously we know now looking back that um yeah, it's uh it, he he still wasn't wasn't in the best shape, was he? So but yeah, no, I I I like to think that yeah, that was uh, it, it was a bit of a bit of a privilege for me to be able to see him play in 2017 given given the context of that year for him. Um, so, yeah, that that was the last match. That was the last te- technical tennis match that he played um, in 2017. And he did. He so, did win uh, a set in that match, and he did play well. Like, I was thinking... I was in my head during that match. I was thinking he's got a chance in 2018 to come back, and if he, if that hit lets him, he has a chance because he's playing... He's not forgotten how to play tennis. He's playing well tactically, and... Uh, it was a good match, and Federer just won. It wasn't. It was a close match, actually. Yeah. Uh, but he I wasn't think, playing too badly, in my opinion. I don't know. No, no. I think I think Rashmi's kind of touched on something there that 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 might be a theme as we go through these years of Andy's career that that we each have felt uh, multiple times as Andy fans, and I think the general sentiment as Andy fans is we've all felt multiple times. Oh, he's he's probably going to come back. Oh, he, you know, I have a really good feeling about this. Oh, I have a really good feeling about this only to kind of have our expectations and our hopes kind of like diminish somewhat by the fact that, you know, he's still, he was still struggling with an injury. So I think that's, uh, yeah, it's definitely kind of important, important to know that we were, we were consistently on highs and lows as Andy fans over the last few years, weren't we? So, but yeah, I think that, that about wraps up 2017 going into 2018, doesn't it? So um, I don't know, I don't know if Peter, you want to say a little bit about the, the beginning of 2018? So in 2018, uh, Andy goes for uh, his first hip surgery right on um, the beginning, um, on the 8th of January. Um, and uh, quoting the conversation with Leighton Hewitt um, in resurfacing, he called him up and uh, other players uh, who went through a, a arthroscopic uh, surgery. Um, he said it only took uh, him three months to recover without any pain. Um, Andy said that he would not be able to play pain-free at all on that time scale. So we were all worried about the highs and lows of Andy's uh, comeback. And so uh, it was uh, good that uh, Leighton um, talked with Andy about it. And uh, going back to uh, my favorite first match of when I fell in love with Andy as a tennis player. He uh, played him in the SAP San Jose Open Final in 2006. And Andy even named his uh, dog Rusty after uh, Leighton, who's his uh, nickname. Um, so it was it was not a great time, again, to be a Andy Murray fan. As we always joke, it's always a Murray coaster of going up and down uh, for all of the matches when he can really gut it out and he has the potential to make sure that uh, the player on the other side of the net knows that he can uh, win it, even if he's down a set, down a break, down two sets. So, yeah, that's our Andy. 
Yeah, what I what I thought was interesting about that uh, Leighton conversation uh, from the documentary, uh, you could just see on Andy's face how worried he was when he was talking to Leighton. It was like, Leighton got better a lot earlier than I got better. So uh, I'm not at the, I'm getting better at the speed that Leighton got better. So my injury is probably worse. My hip injury is probably going to be... And, and, I ha- and then he was thinking, you could just see him thinking, I have no idea when I'm going to get better. And this, I think this conversation was what uh, started his uncertainty. Like, um, I don't know when I'm going to get better as well. I think it was almost like a real kind of... Um, uh, a kind of moment in his... Uh, it, it was like a, a kind of start of the realisation period for him. That kind of uh, uh, regular regular surgery regular uh, n- not all surgeries bad obviously but like kind of your 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 typical like surgery that athletes can nine times out of ten come back from M- maybe wasn't going to work for him this time um and i think he it, it, yeah R- rashmi t- touches on like the the sense of watching it and seeing andy kind of uh come come to kind of a uh like a a, a sense of realization that he might need to uh, research other means of of how to how to get better otherwise he might not <laughs> um, and it it also you know kind of shows that he was kind of doing everything to try and find something that would help him um he was reaching out to ex players he was reaching out to you know um i think i think bob or mike brian he was reaching yeah, out to brian bob brothers brian. he was yep. reaching yeah he was he was reaching out to kind of anyone he could um for kind of uh, for somebody to come along and kind of tell him what to do and tell him you know how, how to go about it but in reality there was kind of there was kind of nobody for him because nobody nobody really had gone through as a singles tennis player what was to come for him and yeah you, you definitely got that kind of sense of kind of worry <laughs> or, or, or kind of panic on his face didn't you so yeah it was a it was a it was a tough scene to watch for me I remember that I remember that it was yeah, uh, yeah it was it was it was brutal so um yeah kind of tough tough watching tough watching yeah, and that kind of leads us on to what I was going to mention about um, pressure. So Andy has obviously faced a lot of pressure throughout his whole career, if you look back on it. So the fact that he's been competing in an era of the three greatest play- tennis players of all time, the fact that he kind of took the spotlight from Tim Henman um, in, in the in the British tennis world, um, and Tim Henman hadn't even made a single slam final, and the British media has been... I don't know whether you could, you could say toxic. He was... He's been through a lot of pressure from them about winning a slam and um, everything. So he's dealt with a fair share of his own pressures uh, throughout his own career. The fact that um, the media has been creating uh, narratives of him throughout the years, um, different narratives, uh, which I'll talk about in a, in a bit. Um, so in the documentary, they talk about this pressure that I've been talking about and the fact that Kim says that his body isn't really his own body. Uh, he's got people with vested interests, people putting pressure on him, like the media. They have expectations of him. Sponsors get twitchy if he's not playing. So when Andy doesn't play a tournament or he's injured, uh, it's not just him that faces the consequences of that. It's um, a lot of people around him are affected uh, as well. And Kim shares the, the interesting point in the documentary that uh, when Andy was recovering in 2018, uh, this could all have been avoided had Andy not shared his goal so clearly to the media at the beginning of the year. So in the beginning of the year, he said, um, of 2018, he said, uh, I, I aim to be ready for the grass. And in saying that, the media got clung onto that and just kept pestering him all year. 
about um, when he's returning. Is he going to be ready for the grass? Um, and Kim says that was by his own doing, which I find really interesting. Uh, also, um, it just uh, there's a quote in the documentary about uh, how Andy felt when he was going through this pressure, and it gives us an insight into um, what he was thinking. Um, so he says, what is the story? There is no story there. What they want me to do is say, yeah, I'm going to be ready to play Wimbledon. And then I don't play and there's a massive drama. Like, what the hell's happened? The rehab's gone to disaster. In situations like this, where they've got other British players to write about that are doing really well, why do they have to try and put extra pressure on me when I'm going through a really difficult time? I don't get it. I don't have anything else to tell them, uh, except that I'm rehabbing and hopefully I'll be ready. So it just shows what he was thinking during this time, and it gives us a bit of insight into what an athlete goes through when this, there's media pressure um, on them constantly. And he's had this for years. Um, amid all the uncertainty of whether or not he was getting better, to get the media hounding you, uh, when there are other things like Kyle Edmund, Dan Evans, other stories that they could uh, be focusing on. Um, I just thought it was uh, interesting that the the documentary talked about that. He, you, you got a sense that he was so frustrated, didn't you? Like he, he was so yeah. annoyed with. In that quote, yeah, in that quote, you could just see the frustration on his face when he was saying that. Like I, 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 I what I love about this documentary, and uh, yeah, I'll, ju- I'll just say if you haven't seen the documentary again, we're, we're going to stress this multiple times. Go and watch it after listening to this episode. Um. Go, go and watch this documentary because what I love about it is there are multiple times just like that as Rashmi have just mentioned that he Andy is so kind of bluntly honest with us as an audience like he looks directly at the camera multiple times and it's just I don't know like for me it's super powerful to kind of see his like he could completely open himself up to you know what, what he was what he was really truly feeling in that moment and uh, it's something that yeah obviously athletes don't 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 do for the cameras too often so i thought it was yeah really really kind of powerful powerful yeah stuff it was really illuminating um and going back to what rashmi was saying that pressure was so on to him with you know all of the sponsors and everything as billy jean king says that pressure is a privilege and i really do believe that and andy does thrive on some pressure and some of the fans rooting him on as he's more so the underdog and that narrative has always you know become evident um over the years even though he's been to semifinals and uh been along uh with the ride with the big four from 2008 to 2011 and 12 and then they just uh leapt over him uh at that point uh but going back to um the pressure it's it's an awful thing when so many people bombard you with all of the negative commentary um and so i just i i couldn't handle it but uh, it's surprising yeah. and illuminating how andy does handle it um and especially again when he talks about it in the documentary yeah that actually that point that, that peter was saying that the, the card spurs him on uh, that leads me on to the, the next point that i was going to make about motivation uh, how andy has been so motivated throughout the not only playing with the big four or big three, but also throughout his injuries in the past four or five years, um, how he stayed motivated. And the documentary touches on this as well. He's constantly work hard, worked hard throughout the rehab. Um, one of the underlying ideas about Andy uh, 
if you are aware of him, is that if you tell him that he cannot do something, he will leave no stone unturned to prove you wrong. And that uh, we've seen that example with Wielander just recently as well. So earlier on his career, there was a lot of people, a lot of um, reporters, a lot of um, pundits saying that he couldn't, he wouldn't ever win a slam. He then went on to win three Grand Slams and the biggest era men's tennis has ever seen, which um, I think is an extraordinary achievement for someone uh, like him to do. Uh, from Britain, never, not in the recent past, they've not had a, a player winning slams, 77 years, um, all that pressure that, that he got. Um, I think it's extraordinary what he did uh, in the US Open 2012. Yeah, um, it, it was it, mind blowing. Um, uh, Andy says it himself in the documentary. Um, in the beginning of his career, uh, it was the whole narrative was well, he doesn't work hard enough, he's lazy. And then it moved on to mentally weak, uh, talking about his body language, the swearing, uh, and how that's just a terrible, a terrible look. And then he says, Andy says in the documentary, he uses anything that people say about him, that he can't do something, whether it's a criticism or not, as a criticism to drive what he's doing on a daily basis. So it's like a retaliation for him, proving people wrong. Uh, so you don't always have to respond with words, and his way of doing it is with actions. Which is kind of one of the most kind of admiring qualities about Andy Murray. <laughs> the, you know, yeah. the, the, the fact that he, uh, his, w w what, what I love about Andy Murray is the amount of times that he's faced uh, adversity and come back from it. You know, obviously in this documentary kind of uh, chronicles, you know, one of the biggest challenges of his career. But even if, even if you look at his actual like tennis playing career, like, the amount of times he was in a slam final, the amount of times he was really, really close to like you know, you know, taking his tennis to the next level, and then, you know, got got beaten by one of the greatest players of all time, <laughs> and then in the very next event he would come back and he would reach another final, and yeah, he would he would lose that match, and then he would come back in the next final. Like he 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 was always there, but he could never quite you know get over the line. But the fact. I think the fact like that he was always there despite despite his losses like it's just such a sense of yeah like his the fact that he he was able to put kind of uh, the the disappointment aside to repeatedly kind of come back is uh, I th I think that definitely factors into his more, his attitude more generally in terms of you know as we see in the documentary his his injuries as well like I think there's a sense of that he he definitely one of his biggest motivations to come back was because a lot of people thought he was done. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like he, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. yeah. As Scott's saying, that he was always there. And I think we're witnessing the greatest golden era of men's tennis. We've got three legends just going up to, you know, hopefully, you know, 20, 21. Um, well, maybe for Novak, as not personally his biggest fan, um, he can get to 20 uh, Grand Slams. But, I mean... With Andy competing and being in eleven finals, it's it's noteworthy, um, yeah. and uh, so I believe that he's he's gonna come back and he's gonna get uh, back to top form and top flight. I hope. One thing that I do want to touch on before we wrap up this episode, because uh, hey guys, this is a two-parter episode of Murray Musings. Um, so one of the one of the final things I want to wrap up on is. Um, uh, we, we, we've talked a lot about how in the documentary uh, resurfacing that uh, Andy 
his, his talks about his his critics and how how his critics have always motivated him throughout his career and throughout this uh, throughout the last the last few years when he's dealt with with injury issues and injury woes. Um, but uh, w- one thing I want to add is just because Andy is now looking like he's fully fully back to you know close to you know like a a real a real a real he's got a real chance now of kind of I feel uh, that he's he's got a real a real opportunity to to play really really good tennis in twenty twenty one, um but even even last year even last year even after the release of that documentary, um he still has his critics uh, Mats Valander just last year. Uh, spoke out about about Andy um when he he lost at Roland Garros um his his exact wording Matt Valander his exact wording uh was I worry about Andy Murray uh, I would love to hear him say why he's out there giving us a false sense of hope that he is going to come back one day I keep getting a little bit disappointed but is it his right to be out there doing that why I did it and I shouldn't have it was the biggest mistake I made in my career. Which yeah, I mean, I I I don't know. Uh, me, Peter, and Rashmi have have each talked about this quote a lot, um, from Matt Valander and how we feel about that. Me and Peter are still very, very, very frustrated by it. Very, very frustrated by it. Um, and and I think Rashmi, Rashmi. Um, I I I think I should explain why. Uh, I watched I watched the podcast that he did with Lendl and Coretio, and he sounded like he he took back. He sounded like he regretted it. Like genuinely, from what I was hearing, he sounded like he regretted saying that. He got a lot of backlash. He found like he found that like, I I think it took him uh, uh, took a bit of toll on Matt Smilander the uh, the backlash on it. So I, I'm gonna like stop hounding him now. I'm annoyed at it, but I'm I'm gonna like refrain from it because I think he did feel bad. I don't know whether he still agrees with it, but Matt Smilander. Matt Valander, if 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 you if you listen to Murray Musings, like we uh, we're willing to forgive you, we're willing to forgive you. Yeah, I'm willing to forgive. Um, and I think it's funny how we teased Rashmi, um, about all of the tweets that she had, and I just searched her name <laughs> and Matt, and I disengaged from that conversation because I knew, like we're talking about, that Andy thrives on that negative energy and saying, "Hey, if you don't think that I can do something, watch me." Watch my actions. So I, I think it's good that uh, he yeah. had that little motivation. No, all my tweets were saying was that <laughs> it's giving Andy great motivation. Like, it, 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 that, and actually, thank you. If you're Matt Valander, if you're listening, thank you so much. Because you're giving Andy an extra, like, um, reason t- to keep playing and keep proving people wrong. And Yeah, you've done actually great, great work yeah. for us. <laughs> Yeah, thanks, Matt. We'll send you the link to this episode. Yeah. Um. And uh. But yes, I think that is where we want to wrap up this episode of Murray Musings. Um. In the in episode three, we're gonna continue the past few years of Andy's career. We're gonna continue to cover the information available in the documentary of his. Um. And we're gonna bring it up to kind of present day times. I think is what we intend to yeah. do. Um, so once again, thank you so much for listening to episode two of Murray Musings, guys. Thank you so much, um, guys. We, we appreciate it a, a lot. And uh, yeah, feel free to tune into the next episode. Bye. Thank you very much, guys. Bye.